This morning, I got called out by my life group. Uh, on Tuesday when we met, we, actually in, in May, we made a life group shirt together for the life group Olympics coming up, and we named our team, and we were going to be the, the Screaming Banana Goats. And yeah, go Screaming Banana Goats. And so we, we even made a t-shirt over it with a goat that just simply said the word inconceivable over it. Uh, Allison's modeling it in the back if you want to stand up, Allison. There you go. There's our life group t-shirt that we made. And, and so... At Life Group on, uh, on Tuesday, uh, Tiffany found some old Life Group shirts, and she goes, behold, our Life Group shirts. And I, I, I was the one that made the suggestion, we should all wear that shirt on Sunday. Let's all do it together. And so my entire Life Group came, and they, they wore the shirt, and they all sat together over in that section right there, and they all glared at me the whole time because I was not wearing the shirt. So I got called out this morning for not wearing the shirt. And, and actually put on the shirt. I put it on this morning, and I was, like, decked out and ready to go. And then I uh, stained the shirt. And so I, I couldn't wear it, and I had to change. And, and so they called me out this morning for, you know, encouraging them all to do this and then backing out myself. And have you ever been called out on something? You see, uh, there are a number of times I've been called out. It seems like there are a number of things that I, I didn't know would make people as mad as they were. Uh, usually I am not aware of things that I get called out on. I knew I did it, but I just didn't know it would be something that would upset people. I find that trait in my children, too. I've said things to them like, how many times have I told you not to, you know, ride the laundry basket as a slide down the stairs? And they're like, you never told us that. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to. And I call them out for things that they didn't know were wrong. I'll say things like, we don't climb the refrigerator. And they're like, we didn't know. I'm calling you out for it now. You see, it seems like we have such a culture. And there's, it's almost become like an avalanche in our culture of calling everyone out. We have a culture where uh, we are looking for things that people do or have done in the past simply so we can call them out for it. And if you notice, social media has become this tsunami where of finding people to blame and looking for people at their worst moments. It's become such a divisive part of our culture where we can open up our phones or we can open up the outside world and just see who did what today and see who's being called out for what today, who can we blame today. And honestly, I think that's a large portion why people are afraid to come to church. I think they're worried they're going to get called out. I think they're worried they're going to get called out for what they've done and so we stay away from church. So today, I'm going to fulfill your worst nightmare, and I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to do it in a way that I hope will change your life forever. And I want to call you out in a way that I hope will change the way that you call other people out forever. A while back, I, I got called out. Uh, a friend of mine came to me, and she said, you know, Brennan, what's your Enneagram number? And I don't like to admit this in public, but I don't know my Enneagram number. And people look at me like, how can you not know your Enneagram number? Three years ago, nobody knew their Enneagram number. And we all survived. And now, she said, what's your Enneagram number? And I said, I, I don't know. And she said, I think you're a nine. And I'm like, well, that's, uh, thank you. I don't know what that means. Uh, but a nine out of ten, that's not bad. And I'm like, hey, if I'm, if I'm a nine, my, maybe my workouts are, are paying off. I feel good about myself at this moment. And, and I said, so what's a 10? She goes, oh, there is no 10. And I'm like, now I feel really good. I'm a nine out of nine. 
I still don't know what that means. If you know anything about the Enneagram personality test, you're actually not supposed to call other people out. You're not supposed to label other people, but I got labeled. And it's like, you're a nine. I said, okay, I'll own that. I'm a nine. I'll always be a nine. And so we were talking later about the Enneagram, and, and someone said, what's your number? And I said, I don't know, but so-and-so told me I was a nine. And they quickly jumped in and said, no, 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 I did not tell you you were a nine. I'm not supposed to label you. Nobody else is supposed to label you, and I wouldn't have done that. I'm like, no, you told me I was a nine. You, you called me out on it and said, you are a nine. She goes, I would not have told you your number. And you're not a nine, you're a seven. And I'm like, you keep telling me my number. And, and I don't know what it means to be a seven, but I went down two points. And then... I don't think she was trying to call me out. I think she was trying to call something out of me. I think she was trying to help me look and see inside of me and identify who I was and see the good in me and who I was supposed to be. And I resisted that. You see, I think it's interesting that I think we all need someone to call out the greatness in us. Isn't it interesting that the greatest athletes in the world still have a coach? Like, it doesn't matter the sport. Like in soccer, I, you know, soccer is a big part of my family life. Our Sundays are occupied with soccer. After we get done here, we uh, eat a lunch to go, and then we go to my son's soccer game, and then we go to my wife's soccer game. And, and it's interesting to be out there because I like to listen to the coaches. Coaches are loud. One, because it's a big field, and you have to be loud and able to be heard. We live in Corpus Christi, and it's very windy. And so there are coaches who are loud simply because they want to be heard. And there are coaches who... Yell simply because they're angry that they're losing the game. And then there are the coaches who are, are yelling at their players because they see their potential and they want to call greatness out of them. And they know where they should be and they know what they're capable of and they're just simply trying to call the greatness out of them. I, I think it's so interesting that even people like Serena Williams, you know, the, the amazing tennis player, one of the greatest athletes in the world has a coach. I'm like, who do you need to coach you? But I think we all need someone to call greatness out of us that would otherwise lie dormant and we would never see. You see, this is what God does. God calls us out and he calls greatness out of us and he calls things out of us that would stay dormant within us if he didn't call it out of us. You see, the word in Greek for church is this word ekklesia which literally means the called out ones. You see, when you are the church, you are the called out ones. This word ek means out, and the word kaleo simply means um, called. And so literally, the, the word for church is the called out ones. And I want to let you know a couple things today about being called out and who you are. I'm going to try and call you out today in a way that will help you identify who God created you to be. And I'm going to call you out in a way that I hope will bring you to a place where you call other people out into the marvelous light that you have been called into. The, the first thing I want to let you know is that we are called out of the world. I wrote that down in your creek notes. We are called out of something and we are called into something. And I want to let you know, you have been called out of the world. One of, the, uh, one of my favorite verses is from First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Um, I wasn't going to jump to it this early in the message, but I really uh, like to mess with Wade, who's doing the slides in the back. And so in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, if I can find 1 Peter. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. I'm sorry, not verse 9. Uh, sure, why not? Verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Oh, you beat me. Good job. Uh, it says this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter is calling us out and he's saying, this is who you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are like a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, God, when he calls us, he calls us out of the darkness. He calls us out of the world. See, we've been called out of the world, but we're also called into something. We're called out of the world and we're called to something. And so today, if you would, I want you to look with me at John chapter 1. John is... In about three quarters of the way through your Bible, you find what's called the Gospels, the four books that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 1. And we're going to find Jesus calling out his disciples. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus calling out the first disciples who would later become apostles. Uh, I want to pick up at beginning at John, chapter 1, verse 35, and go on to verse uh, 51, the rest of the end of the chapter. And this is what he says. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is not John who wrote the book of John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was there with his buddies, and he saw Jesus passing by, and he goes, look, the Lamb of God. You see, John knew Jesus, and so when he saw Jesus, he pointed Jesus out to others. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, this is not like, I follow Jesus. This is like slowly begin to stalk Jesus from behind in a creepy kind of way. And so, when the disciples heard him saying they followed Jesus, and turning around and seeing two big fishermen following him, he goes, what do you want? Which is probably the same reaction I would have if I turned around and saw two people following me down a dark alley. And they simply said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come, he replied, and you'll see. Which is basically Jesus for, if you keep stalking me, you're going to find out. That's how stalking works. If you follow someone for long enough, you'll see where they're going. And not that this is stocking class. Anyway, and so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing, circle, highlighter, underline that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he goes, you're Simon, son of John. He goes, but you will be called Peter. The word Peter, by the way, means rock. It may be translated in your Bible, Cephas, which is the other word for rock. You see, when John knew Jesus, John pointed out Jesus to other people. And then Andrew began to follow Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was point out Jesus to his brother. And then his brother came to know Jesus. And Jesus looked at his brother Simon and goes, you are a rock. And then at the beginning of verse 43, it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. You see, Jesus called Philip out. And it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, who were also called out, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Have you ever tried to talk to a friend about Jesus? And they asked you a question you didn't know the answer to. And he's like, Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? 
And Philip didn't know the answer. And so he goes, I, I, come and see. That's a great answer. If someone asks, ever asks you a question about Jesus you don't know, just be like, come and see. It's a good answer. And he goes, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Then Nathanael asked, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, do you believe just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And then he said, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we just take this scripture apart, would you help us to see how you are calling us out? Who you are calling us to be? Lord, would you call the good out of us? And would you help us to lead us to a place where we are willing to call others out of the darkness and into your marvelous light? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, Jesus is pulling together this group. He calls out this guy, Philip, who knew Andrew and Peter. And so, because Philip is from the same area. And in the paragraph immediately above, it says, John knew who Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God. He would be the sacrifice. He would be the one that took away our sins. And so when John knew who Jesus was, he pointed it out to Andrew who was with him. And he goes, that's Jesus. And so Andrew became a follower of Jesus in a literal sense. And then as soon as Andrew spent the day with Jesus and realized who he was, the very first thing he did was go to his brother, Simon. And he goes, you need to meet Jesus. And then Simon came and Jesus said, Simon, you're going to be named Peter because you are a rock. Andrew and Peter knew, were from the same area as this guy, Philip. And so Philip became a follower of Jesus. And the very first thing Philip does is he, after he has this encounter with Jesus, or after he has been encountered by Jesus, is he seeks out his friend Nathaniel. You see, what's interesting is there's this relational domino that takes place. When one person meets Jesus, they start bringing people they know to meet Jesus as well. You see, the, the kind of logo or emblem we've chosen for these next couple of weeks is literally this image of this relational domino. It's the idea that when you meet Jesus, you should call other people. You should introduce him to other people. That's the way it's supposed to work. And I find it so interesting uh, that none of these guys were giving any instruction on how to recruit people. I mean, John's just there like, there's Jesus. So Andrew goes, okay. And he starts following him in a creepy way. He doesn't know what he's doing. And, and we don't hear any instruction that they were sent out to recruit other people or enlist people to follow Jesus. They simply did it as a reaction. And Andrew goes to get his brother, and then they find Philip, and Philip immediately goes and gets Nathaniel. You see, it just became a reaction. They did it naturally. Jesus didn't command them to go enlist people they had been given influence over. They did it because they had been searching for this kind of hope their whole life. Philip had been reading his whole, whole life about the Messiah, a Christ and the Savior who had come. And now that he has encountered Jesus for himself, everything he could ever hope for was being fulfilled. And he could not help himself in being able to call others. He had to get the people he loved. 
and bring them to Jesus. You see, I want you to know that the entire economy of the movement of Jesus Christ, the entire economy of the church is based on relationships. You see, it's all about relationships. It's all about caring for people. It's all about loving people. It's all about connecting with each other and then connecting each other to the God that knows us. It's, it's our purpose, our mission statement as Fellowship of Oso Creek to grow in Jesus, to live in community, and to be on mission. You see, when you have this relationship with Jesus and you have a relationship with people, it's natural to connect those dots and just say, I want these other people to have the same relationship with the God who created us that I do. You see, while these guys weren't told to do anything, they just kind of naturally did it. We, on the other hand, have been given a mission. And I want to let you know, if you would, stick something in the book of John 1, because we're going to be coming back here in just a second. Stick a piece of paper or an in there and flip three books to the right, to the left. I don't know. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And if, you're, if you find the first page of Mark, it's like the page before that. Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus Christ has risen from the grave, after he has been crucified and has risen, he has these last words with his disciple. I found in my life that if somebody gets up from the dead to tell you something, it's probably pretty important. And I want you to catch this. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 16. It says this. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they got there, they saw him. And they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, I always stop there for some reason. Uh, if you, you're not talking about some, like just some people. These are the guys who have lived their whole life with Jesus. They, they have spent the last three years following Jesus. They watched him die. He got up from the grave. And some people are like, I don't really know. Does anyone here struggle with faith? Like faith just doesn't come naturally to you? And you doubt? I, I want to let you know, you are in good company. You are not alone. Because it says the 11 disciples came and they witnessed Jesus. Have you ever said, if only I could see something amazing or miraculous, then I would never doubt again. That's not true. Because clearly it happens here. And, and I'll get to that in a minute. And, and then, maybe I won't. Maybe it has nothing to do with today's sermon. I just want to let you know, if you doubt, you're not alone. That's okay. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the ends of the age. And Jesus gave them this mission. Sometimes we put an S on the end of the word mission and we say we have missions. I want to let you know there's only one. There is one mission. That's it. And, and when we say here at Fellowship of Oso Creek, we are growing in Jesus, living in community, and on mission. It's not on missions. There's one. And we have to be united in our mission. And this is it. Jesus says, go and make disciples out of every nation. It does not matter where they're from. It does not matter their background. It does not matter their baggage they carry. Anyone is welcome in the family of God, and you need to make disciples out of them in the same way Jesus has made, has made a disciple out of you. And he says it's this relational domino effect. 
where you should be going and making disciples and baptizing them. Guys, I want to let you know, when we baptize here at Fellowship of Oso Creek, there are traditions where only pastors baptize. We believe the Great Commission was written to all Christians. You see, we don't expect just pastors to go. We don't expect just pastors to, to make disciples. Therefore, we believe the command to baptize was given to all Christians at this moment. And so if you introduce somebody to Jesus, then you should be the one to baptize them and welcome them into the family because that's what baptism is, is it is inclusion into the family of God. And he goes, and you've got to teach them everything I've taught you. You see, that's, that's, this is where our mission statement, growing in Jesus, in community, and on mission comes from. You see, we grow in Jesus when we learn everything that Jesus has taught us, everything in Scripture and who we're supposed to be. And we live in community when people are welcomed into the family of God, and therefore we live in this fellowship together. And then we're on mission when we continue to go, not just once a week on a trip, but in our daily, everyday lives to the people who so desperately need to know Jesus. It's this relational domino effect where people need to know, and we are called to a mission. You see, when Jesus calls you out, he doesn't just call you out, he calls you in. Did you notice that with Andrew? The first thing he said to Andrew, when Andrew goes, where are you going? Jesus goes, come and see. And he invites him in, he calls him in. Second thickly on your creek notes, we are called to proclaim the good news. You see, we are called to a mission, and that mission is to proclaim the good news. The word gospel, by the way, if you've ever heard it, literally just means good news. So when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ, we literally mean good news, Jesus. And I want to share with you what that good news is. Uh, if you would, uh, don't leave anything in Matthew. You've already got Mark, John 1 bookmarked. And so I want you to flip over to the book of 2 Corinthians. After the book of John, you have Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. And right after 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians. Even with my instructions, I can't find it. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. I love the way Paul puts this in, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. Guys, we are compelled by love. I love that these first disciples didn't have any instruction to compel them to go share the good news. Jesus didn't say, go recruit people. He had not yet said, go into the world. They were simply compelled by love, and they found Jesus, and they wanted those they loved to have the same peace and the same hope they had. And so out of love, they just go to other people because they were compelled by love. And it says here, Christ's love compels us. For we're convinced that one died, and therefore one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and raised again. And this is what it's saying. It says, Jesus Christ did not die to forgive our sins. He died to forgive the sins of everyone. You see, no one is excluded from the love of God. And I don't know if you've been taught that before, that God only died for the elect or God only died for the few. That is not what Scripture teaches. It says that Jesus Christ died for all so that everybody could have this chance of coming to know who he is. And therefore, those of us who know Jesus should no longer live for ourselves. But we've been given a mission. We've been given a good news to share. 
And we should be compelled by love, our love of God and our love of others, so that we share the good news with those who desperately need it. And in verse 16, he says this, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at them as if we're just part of this world. We don't look at them the same way we used to. We look at them with these Christ-like eyes. He goes, though we once even viewed Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. He goes, this all is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. When it says God has reconciled us through Christ, meaning we were once separated from God. We could not be with God. And God said, listen, I'm going to fix our relationship. Have you ever had a broken relationship with somebody? I don't know if you did something or if they did something. Someone has to go in and reconcile that relationship. And it says, Jesus reconciled us to God. He made us right with God. And then he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, meaning we've been given this mission to go reconcile other people to God. You see, we have been called out so that we can call others in. Man, I should have written that on a creek note. And he says that God is reconciling the world to himself. He is not counting people's sins against them any longer. And that is the good news. God is no longer counting your sin against you. He is forgiving it. And he wants the whole world to know him. The final thing I wrote in your creek notes, uh, that point was this. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. You see, this is what it is. We're not just called to be disciples. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. That's what it says in, in Matthew 28. Go make disciples. So if you are a disciple who's not making disciples, I don't know if you're a good disciple. If you're keeping the light to yourself, I don't know if you're compelled by love. You see, you have been called out so that you can call others out. Flipping back to John chapter 1. Picking up at verse something or other. Uh, picking up at verse uh, 44. said, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, who had been called out, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who, Moses, who Moses wrote about in the law, and who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And it's interesting because Nathanael's response was, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found Jesus. He's from Nazareth. It's the equivalent, and forgive me if I'm insulting you or your background or your town, but it's, it's the equivalent of saying, we found Jesus. He's from Beeville. And, and Nathanael looked and he goes, I'm sorry, Beeville? Why would God go to Beeville? I'm sure God knows it's there. And that's how he felt about Nazareth. It is this podunk nothing town. And I'm really sorry for those of you from Beeville. I don't mean to be knocking your town. I'm just trying to give you an equivalent of what like, Nathaniel's thinking here. He goes, it's this podunk nothing town. I'm sure that God knows it's there, but why would God go there? And I want you to know, I think God may have picked Nazareth just to let us know there is nowhere that God will not go to be able to reach you. And if God will go anywhere to be able to reach you, where are you willing to go to reach other people? Where are you not willing to go to reach other people? 
Because God is willing to go anywhere to grab hold of you. And then it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael, and you can circle that or highlight that in your Bible in verse 47. Uh, see, the story doesn't begin when Nathanael sees Jesus. It begins with Jesus he's, sees Nathanael. And I love that. Because I think a lot of us think that the story with God begins when we are searching for God. But long before you began searching for God, God was searching for you. You see, before you believed in Jesus, Jesus believed in you. Before you saw Jesus, Jesus saw you. And when he sees him, the first thing he said about Nathaniel was, here is a real Israelite. There is nothing false in him. What do you think the first thing Jesus would say about you was? What do you think the first thing Jesus would say about you would be if he met you face to face? You see, for some of us, that's a terrifying question. And because we don't really want to hear the answer because we're afraid of it. Because we've had a bad day. I, I, I don't know what Jesus would say about me. Or you've had a bad week or a bad couple of years. You've had a bad life. And, and so you're just like, I don't necessarily want to know what Jesus would say about me the first time. See, it would terrify me if how people talk about one another is how God talks about people. You see, we expect judgment and condemnation. And we think God is going to point out everything wrong about us. If I met Jesus face to face, he would call me out. And that's why so many of us are afraid to come to church. And so many of us are afraid of God. Because we think, eh, who wants that? Who wants, Jesus would call me out for everything we've done wrong. For all of our inadequacies. For everything that makes us unworthy. And that's why people are so afraid of church and God. Because who wants to be called out for everything wrong with you? When you already know what's wrong with you. And I love that the first thing Jesus says is he doesn't call him out on his sins. He calls him out for who he sees he can be. Did you catch this in all of these stories today? You see, the first thing Jesus does with Andrew is he calls him in. When he meets Peter, he looks at Peter and he goes, You are a rock. And he doesn't call him out for all of his problems. And Peter had a lot of problems. If you ever read the Bible, you see all of Peter's problems. Jesus could have called him out on any one of them. And Peter wrote them all down in Scripture. John wrote even more down about Peter's problems. And he looks at Peter and he goes, no, you're a rock. And he looks at Nathaniel and the first thing that he says to Nathaniel is, here is a true Israelite. You see, Jesus is calling out the good in you. And so many of us are afraid that if we met Jesus, he would call us out on everything we've done wrong. And instead, he calls out the goodness in you. He calls out the greatness in you because he sees who you're supposed to be when you grow up. If you grow up. I don't know if you listen to the voice of God, if you ever pay attention enough to listen to God's voice, but if you do, you will hear him call out the good in you despite whatever you have or whatever baggage you have. And we see it time and time again in the story. And he says, here is a true Israelite. It's interesting because I imagine everybody who was listening thought they were a true Israelite. And you wonder, what does it take to be a true Israelite? It's like, being, it's like if someone said, hey, here is a true American. 
And you're like, well, what's a fake one? Like, what, what does that mean? It's kind of like the idea we shared in our elders' prayer time this morning. One of our elders said, just because you go to McDonald's, you are not a hamburger. Uh, just because you're in church does not make you a Christian. And, and see, everyone listening thought they were an Israelite. And you, it's not about where you're born. It's not about your color of your skin. It's not about genetics. You see, the Israelites came from the line of Jacob. Jacob was a man whose name meant deceiver, liar, trickster. And so the story of Jacob goes like, I, I don't know if his parents named him liar and then he lived up to it. Or that's one way of calling somebody out. Or if he just, you know, became that person and therefore they just called him Jacob the trickster. And one day in Jacob's things, he encounters God who made him. And he wrestles God. There's a story of God coming down in, in man form and wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob just grabs hold of God and he goes, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And it's kind of like a father when you wrestle with your kids and they hold on. And you're just like, okay, time's up. And they don't let go. And Jacob just goes, I will not let go until you bless me. And God says, what's your name? And he goes, Jacob. And he goes, from now on, you will be named Israel because you have wrestled with God and man. I don't think, by the way, that God lost a wrestling match. That doesn't seem very much within his character. But he goes, listen, I know your struggles. I know how you have wrestled with me. You see, I love that some of you can come here and freely admit, I wrestle with God. Some of you can be here and, and like the disciples say, I've seen the resurrection and I believe, but I still doubt. And I'm wrestling with this. And Jesus looked at Nathaniel and goes, you are a true Israelite. You really wrestle with this. And he goes, but at least you're honest about it. Because he didn't look at Nathaniel and say, there are no faults in you. Because Nathaniel had all kinds of faults. He goes, there's nothing false not there are no faults. Guys, there's, there's plenty of things wrong with you. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know. We're jacked up people. But God looks. And he goes, I see the good in you. I see the great in you. And I want to call that out. All you have to do is be honest with me. And be honest about where you are. And the first thing Jesus does is call out the good in him. When was the last time someone called out the good in you? You see, I, I want to start a revolution in our culture where we start calling people out for doing good. I think you would freak people out if you just went up to somebody and you're like, I saw that! Saw what you did. And they're like, oh no. You're like, I saw you serve. I saw how you loved that person. I saw how you gave. I saw how you sacrificed I saw the love in you. And what if we just started this culture, this revolution from everything else we see in this country and we started calling out people for the good in their life? What if we start calling people out to greatness? What if we start calling people to the life that they're supposed to live in the way that Jesus did? What if we begin this relational domino effect of saying, listen, you are called to be this person in Jesus Christ, but you can never get there without him. We began calling people into this relationship with Jesus. It would change the world. 
and it can be a revolution we begin because people need you to call them out for the good and the great. I, I try to have a habit in my life that whenever someone speaks well of you behind your back, that I bring it to your face. It's so much fun for me. I love going up to somebody and saying, hey, I want you to know that Janet was saying something behind your back. And they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, she told me about how you stepped up and you stepped in and about how you helped her in a hopeless situation. And I just want you to know people are seeing that in you. And I love being the one to see that twist in their eyes. It's like someone sees the good in you and you need to know it. Someone sees the great in you and you need to know it because that's how Jesus sees you. And you know what's crazy? Is Jesus also sees all the negative things. He could have called any one of these people out. He calls out the greatness in them instead. You see, what if we were like Jesus and started calling out the good in others? What if we were to call them to the life they were designed to live? What if we called them out into a relationship with Jesus? Out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. See, the next thing I wrote in your creek notes is we are called to fellowship. It's part of our name, Fellowship of Oso Creek. A lot of times we get called Oso Creek, but the word fellowship is an important part of our title. Because the word fellowship literally means this. It's the communion of saints. Saints, by the way, meaning those who have the Holy Spirit. Saints meaning those who have accepted Jesus Christ in their life. Saints being those who have been forgiven. Saints being the members of the church, the called out ones, this ecclesia. It's our communion. The word communion literally just means common union. You can draw a line through the word communion and just split it right in half. It means our common union, the thing that makes us united together. I'm not sure if you've noticed this on social media or by watching the news or because you live here. But our country is deeply divided on every major and minor issue there is. We are a divided, divisive people. We are not a united states. And what our country needs is an example of what fellowship means. A common union. To say, I can disagree with you on a million things, but what is our common union and what drives us together is Jesus Christ. And it all comes back to this verse from 2 Peter, where he goes, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You people who are my people, the called out ones. He goes, I have called you out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. And it doesn't matter what divides us. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you you fall under. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from or what nation you may hail from. We should be so united by Jesus Christ. Which is why the word fellowship is such a critical part of our title. Because we need to be remembered that we are united people. The word Oso Creek just means like Bear River. That doesn't give us any significance. This means we're somewhere near Oso Creek. But the word fellowship identifies who we are. You see, you have been called to a mission. You have been called to a higher purpose. But you have also been called to one another. You've been called to this fellowship. And finally, we are called to go. 
this word go, I'm going to use an English word. And I know you're like, most of the words you've been using are English. But I'm actually going to go grammatical on you, which if you speak English, you don't know grammatics. But if you took a Spanish class, someone might have taught you the word active present participle. Unless you're an English teacher, that probably meant nothing to you. The word active present participle simply means the word go is an active present participle. Meaning it is something you are supposed to be doing at this moment. It is active. It is present. It's, it's not a, hey, you should go in the future. It's as you go. At this moment, you should be going. It's a, it's a term that means as you do life, you should make disciples. I, I love what Colossians kind of adds to this. See, Colossians chapter 3, uh, I'm going to pull out just two quick verses. Verse 17 and verse 24 says this. Colossians chapter 3, 17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this verse so much. And verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord and not for men. I love this. Because I'm not sure, have you ever, this is just such a freeing verse for me. Because it's like, whatever you do, what are you going to do? Whatever. Like, how many of you guys are like, I don't know what to do. It's whatever. How many of you ever thought about God speaking in those terms? It's like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, I used to hate that question. Because I didn't want to grow up. And I certainly wouldn't want to do anything. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Have you ever felt that way before? And I want to let you know that I, <laughs> I want to let you know that God's like, whatever you do, if it's in word or if it's deed, whatever you want to do when you grow up, if you want to be a biomedical engineer, you do that with all of your heart as if working for the Lord. You do that to the glory of God. I don't even know what a biomedical engineer does. But you know what you do if you're a biomedical engineer? You go and you make disciples of all nations teaching them everything Jesus has taught you. Some of you may want to grow up and be a blue jeans designer. Man, you're like, you know what my heartbeat is? Man, I really want high quality denim on people's legs. Like, that's my passion. It's my heart. I don't get that. But if that's you, that's great. Then whatever you want to do, you just do it for the glory of God. I'm making blue jeans for Jesus, not for men. You see, that's what the scripture's saying. It says, and you do that, and you do it in such a way that lets people see God working in you. You be such a good example for your coworkers. You make such a high-quality pair of blue jeans that people glorify God on the day they put them on. You see, you live your life in this active present participle. And I want you to know, mission is not a trip. It is not something you do once a week out of a year where you go... It is a lifestyle that impacts the people you work with, that impacts the people you go to school with. See, where are you going today? I'm going to H-E-B because I'm out of groceries. So you know what I'm doing today? I'm going to H-E-B in the name of Jesus. I have no idea what that means either. But whatever I do, I'm doing in the name of the Lord. So I'm going. I don't know who I'm going to have a conversation with. It's probably Wade. I don't go to H-E-B without seeing Wade. But when I do, I greet him as a brother. I watch for moments. 
and you call people out for the good in their life. And you call people out of the darkness into his glorious light. Whatever you do, God is calling you out to this lifestyle of evangelism. You see, have you ever been a person who's waiting for someone to call you out? You see, I don't know about you, but I, I was not very good at sports. And most of us who grew up playing sports who were not very good at sports spent a lot of time waiting to be called out. See, I kept on waiting, and I spent a lot of time on the bench hoping that the coach would call me out. And I spent so much time waiting to be called out. I'm just like, put me in the game! And I so longed to hear those words, Brennan, we need you! And one day I realized nobody was going to call me out. I was short and chubby and slow. I never got picked first for dodgeball. I could not throw. I could not dodge. And, and one day I decided nobody was going to pick me. Nobody was ever going to put me in the game. And then I had an encounter with my maker. When I was 16 years old, the creator of the universe called me out. And I heard the voice of Jesus call me out. And he told me that my life mattered. That I had a purpose and I had a meaning. He told me that he had a plan for me and a mission for me. And he called me to go. And for the first time in my life, my life made sense. I hated all those projects where they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I don't know. And for the first time, my life had meaning and I knew what I was supposed to do. And I had no idea what to do. But I knew God was calling me to it. I had no idea where it would lead me. I was not planning on coming to Corpus Christi. I was never planning on being a big boy pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor till I got old. I wanted to be the world's oldest youth pastor. That was my life goal. Like, I'm like, let us play Xbox and hang out with teenagers and eat pizza for the rest of our lives. And God says, whatever you do, I'm like, sweet. I can do that for the glory of Jesus, really? What is he calling you to? Because God is calling you out. And he sees the potential in you and the greatness in you. He sees the good in you. And he's calling you. <laughs> if God called me, don't for a second think you're going to get by without him calling you out. See, the voice that came to me was Jesus and he told me who I am. Not with an Enneagram number. But he said, you are my child. See, that's what God is calling you to as well. To call other people to go. See, God is calling you out today. And some of you, he's calling out to step across the line of faith for the very first time and give your life to him. And you have felt that meaninglessness and that I don't know what to do. And today God says, whatever you do, just do it with me. Oh, and I've got your back. There's so much I could say about that. But I'm trying to preach shorter sermons. God is calling you to go. You see, the world is aching to know its maker. God is saying, you go be the hope that this world needs. Today, I want you to go out and call people to who they're supposed to be. Call them to the life they're supposed to live. Call them to the maker who they're supposed to live it with. Some of you are being called to that now.
And if that's you, I simply want to say a prayer with you right now. And if you pray this with me. Father God, I think you're calling me. And I don't know what that means, and I'm afraid, but Lord, I want to step across that line of faith. God, I know there is no good in me, yet you see good in me. So God, I want to believe about me what you do. Lord, would you forgive everything wrong I've done, and would you correct me and call me to yourself? You see, God wants to put his Holy Spirit in you. God, I pray that you'd put your Holy Spirit in me and help me to live the life I'm supposed to live for you. If you just prayed that prayer today, you've stepped across a line into a life you could never have imagined before. And if you've been following for a while, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while like Andrew, and God turns around and goes, what do you want? What's your answer today? Some of you are saying, I just want to go with you. And Jesus extends this invitation, come, follow me. And he extends the invitation, go. You see, he calls us in, but he sends us out so that we can call other people out into his glorious light. Today, I simply want to end on a note of church, it's time to go. It's time to go and be the hope for the world and call others out. Would you stand as we continue and worship together? Man, if you decided to accept Jesus' invitation today, I want to let you know that we would love to hear that from you. There are a couple ways you can let us know. One, we will be up front here available for prayer. And we'll pray about anything with you. Whether it, whether you just stepped across that line of faith and you're like, I, I just need to know more about Jesus. Or whether you have questions. And we may not know the answers, but we'll invite you to come and see. Or whether you know that God is calling you out. And he is sending you out to let the world know about him. Let us pray over you as he puts specific places and people on your mind to call into his light. And you may be like the disciples. You're like, I, I have no idea how to do that. Simply call out those you love and say, come and see. I don't know anything else. But if God can change me, he can change you.